0: So I, let me tell you, I have wrestled uh, with this passage. I have wrestled with God to try to understand this passage. Regula can tell you. Most of our conversations in the past few weeks have been about Jacob and his wrestling with God. And Regula's very valuable input uh, has been helpful in putting this together. The story of Jacob wrestling with God raises many questions. People have interpreted the story in many ways. As I was researching the history of wrestling in ancient literature, I came upon Kyle Dunning's piece in eWrestlingNews.com. He compiled a list of stories uh, in ancient literature of wrestling, and for each one he gave an interpretation of that particular passage. But for this one he said, there are so many interpretations of this story that it would be too much detail here. And he didn't say anything. So. But the more I think about this story, the more I realize it's right. Um, and I'm not going to go into all the details, because we could be here several hours or even several days, and uh, I'd rather get home this afternoon. So um, what I hope to do, though, in the next half hour, is to offer answers to five questions that struck me and that I personally struggled to answer in this passage. And I'll start briefly by summarizing the background to the story, Pointing out the key facts that are most relevant, then I'll share with you my insights that I hope will help us in our Christian life, in our walk with God, and in our relationship with the people around us. So let's begin by thinking for a moment about wrestling. What is it? Intuitively, we all know. When we stop to think about it, we can say that wrestling is a competition. It's a test of strength, skill, and perseverance. People generally wrestle competitively in order to attack, to defend, to show superiority, or to earn someone's respect. Wrestling is probably the oldest sport in the world, and it's still practiced today. The ancient Egyptians and Mesopotamians wrestled. This photo of paintings from the tomb of Tahotep in Sakura, Egypt is dated 2,400 BC. That's about 400 years before our story takes place, which has many wrestling moves. In the Epic of Gilgamesh, generally recognized as one of the oldest pieces of epic literature in the world, King Gilgamesh wrestled with the wild men Enkidu, and afterwards they became friends. Whether it's the World Wrestling Federation, or sorry, World Wrestling Entertainment, um, or the Olympics, or the uniquely Swiss swinging, or a father and son wrestling, or my sons Michael and Daniel figuring out how to divide a sausage between them. Wrestling is still very much part of our culture and even our everyday lives. One can even say that wrestling flows from something in the human nature that enjoys competition and a challenge. The struggle in wrestling is not necessarily a sign of enmity, but a manifestation of something that is core to how God created us. God did not create us for pleasure, entertainment, and sitting in front of a screen, but for challenge and adventure. Done in the right way and for the right purposes, wrestling and struggling can and overcoming can be good and even noble. The American president, Theodore Roosevelt, said, nothing in the is in the world is worth having or doing unless it means effort, pain, and difficulty. I have never in my life envied the human being who has led an easy life. I have envied a great many people who have led difficult lives and led them well. In Romans twelve twenty one, the Apostle Paul exhorts the believers do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And in 1 Timothy 6, 12, Paul writes, But you, man of God, flee from all this evil, and pursue righteousness, godliness, and faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight. That's the word struggle there. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So we can conclude that wrestling and struggle are very common and can be good. They also reflect something of how we are made and how we are to live in the world. Let's look now at Jacob's parents and brother with the help of a map. Jacob was born to Isaac and Rebekah. Jacob and Esau struggled with each other in the womb. God told Rebekah that the younger would rule over the older. Esau was born first with Jacob holding on to his heel. Isaac and Rebekah named their second son Jacob. Heel it, which can also mean supplanter and deceiver. Esau was a man of the outdoors, Jacob of the indoors. Isaac favored Esau, Rebekah favored Jacob. When he felt he was starving, Esau sold his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of stew. And right after that, the Bible said, Esau despised. That Isaac was about to bless Esau, Rebekah and Jacob plotted for Jacob to get Esau's blessing through deception, and they succeeded. Esau did not get the firstborn blessing, and he wanted to kill Jacob. Shortly after this, Isaac and Rebecca Isaac blessed Jacob and sent him to his uncle Laban in Padan Aram to get a wife and to escape the wrath of his brother. On his, way to, on his way in Bethel, Jacob saw his stairway to heaven and God at the top of the stairs. God reiterated to Jacob the blessing and promise that he made to Abraham. Jacob set up a the pillar there and promised to worship God, if God blessed him, and if God brought him back home safely. <laughs> Last week we heard about the time when Jacob lived with his uncle Laban. Jacob worked for 14 years to get two wives, Leah and Rachel, and he also got Bilah and Zilpah, servants of his wives, as wives. Jacob had 11 sons at that time. After 14 years, Jacob worked six more years and became wealthy because of God's blessing, because God favored him. Because Jacob had become wealthy at the expense of Laban, tension developed between (coughs) between him and Laban and between him and Laban's sons. Laban's sons were saying, Jacob has taken everything our father owned. And, I love this phrasing from the NIV, Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude toward him was not what it had been. God appeared to Jacob in a dream and told him to return to his father and his relatives, saying, go back to the land of your forefathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. Shortly thereafter, Jacob deceived Laban and fled with his family and possessions. Before meeting Esau, Jacob sent messengers to his brother to announce his homecoming. His messengers told him that Esau was coming to meet him with 400 men. Jacob remembered that Esau wanted to kill him, and he was terrified. The NIV says, in great fear and distress. So two days before meeting Esau, Jacob separated his possessions into two camps, thinking that if Esau attacked the first group, the second might escape. And Jacob prayed to the God of Abraham and Isaac, a very devout prayer. I won't read it, but it should be on the screen. He acknowledged God's undeserved kindness and faithfulness, God's blessing on him. He asked God to save him from his brother, who was coming with 400 men. He reminded God that he was doing this, what God asked him to do, and of God's promise (coughs) to him, and to prosper him and his offspring. You put me up to this, God. You promised to be with me. You promised to do these things. The day before meeting Esau, Jacob sent gifts to appease his brother, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. Who's added that up? Petitions among you? That's 550, plus plus the young, 550 animals. That's a big gift. That's a big gift. He must have been really afraid. The night before meeting Esau, Jacob got up. This is in the middle of the night. He'd already gone to bed. He got up and then sent his wives, servants, sons, and all his possessions to the other side of the River. Then he was alone. And this is the setting of Jacob wrestling with God. And the Bible records, and read it again, a man came and wrestled with him until daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. The man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why don't you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was saved. I want to highlight a couple of points that will become important as we reflect on this incident. First of all, Jacob wrestled with God in the form of a man. This was not just a dream or a vision. After wrestling, probably for several hours, and at daybreak, when Jacob could see his face, God dislocated Jacob's hip. Something extremely, very painful. After his hip was dislocated, that's when Jacob held on to God and said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Then God asked Jacob his name, and Jacob said his name, contrary to what he had done with drinking his father. This time he told the truth. In saying his name, it seems he admitted his character, and his sin of usurping and deceiving him. And then God gave him a new name, Israel, which means struggles with God, or contends with God. Jacob asked the man, God, his name, but he didn't tell Jacob. I think that by that time, Jacob already knew, which is why he said, why do you ask my name? And then God blessed Jacob. Now. Now that we have the important background and keynotes uh, of the story, I'd like to reflect on five of the many questions that arise and some insights that we can gain from trying to answer them. So the first question is, why did Jacob wrestle with the man? Why did God, Jacob wrestle with God? The hospitable thing would have been, to be friendly towards this mysterious man who came towards him. But Jacob was anxious and agitated. He was in great fear and distress. It may also have been that by nature he was rash and contentious with everyone. I think it had to do with what the man, God, said. I imagine that God called him out on his sins and this offended Jacob. I think he said things like, you stole your brother's birthright you deceived your father. You tricked and deceived Laban, thinking only of yourself. You've not been loving to all of your wives and to all of your sons. You're scared to death of your brother because you don't trust God. I think Jacob got into a fight with God because he didn't think he was so bad, because he didn't want to be seen as being fearful, because he didn't yet see and trust God's goodness. Jacob got into a fight with someone he perceived as an enemy attacking him. His character, his integrity, and his morality. The second question is why did God wrestle with Jacob? Sometimes, when I try to understand what the Bible teaches, I find it helpful to consider the alternatives. So let's consider this question by thinking about four things that God could have done instead of wrestling with Jacob. First, God could have comforted and encouraged Jacob and reaffirmed his promise without a fight. We think of Jesus' words Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jacob was clearly heavy laden with fear. But this night, God didn't comfort Jacob, he challenged him. God didn't give him rest, he gave him wrestling. Thanks very good for that one. Um, it's like when I went to the physical therapist for muscle pain. He found the pain point and pressed on it. And then he told me I needed to exercise the muscle to strengthen it. That night, God came not as a comforting counselor to assure him that everything would be all right, but as a challenging coach him to improve his game. Secondly and similarly, God could have helped Jacob without demanding anything of him, without requiring any change of him. God could have let Jacob continue in his ways and blessed him in ways. He could have affirmed to Jacob, saying he was fine just as he was. But God wanted to tr- transform Jacob to become more of the man that he created him to be. God would not enable Jacob in his sin and his weakness. Instead, like a refiner's fire, God wanted to purify him. Third, God could have given up on Jacob. Even though, as we we heard last week, Jacob had many good qualities, he also has some not so good qualities. God could have found someone else, someone better, someone more honest. But God did not desert Jacob. He did not cancel him, as has become common practice in our society today. Like a faithful husband to an unfaithful wife, God did not divorce Jacob, but was faithful to his promise and his commitment to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Fourth, God could have overpowered Jacob immediately. If God only wanted Jacob's submission, God could have won right there in the, the fight in the first few seconds. But God wants more than our submissions, submission. He wants our hearts. Yes, God wants us to obey Him. However, He wants our obedience to be inspired, not by fear, but by friendship and love. And these don't come from God's domination, but from relationship. So God came not as a tyrant, but as a patient, loyal friend and the loving father. So, why did God wrestle Jacob? I would say that God wanted to show his patience, his power and his love to strengthen his relationship with Jacob and to bring about transformation in Jacob. The third question is, I'd like to reflect on is, why did Jacob ask God for a blessing? Based on his having gotten his father's blessing, and having at least twice stated, and God having at least twice stated his promise, and based on the evidence of how God favored him in relation to to Laban, one might conclude that Jacob had already had God's blessing, and even that he already knew that he had God's blessing. So why? did he insist with tears, I will not let you go until you bless me. Maybe Jacob knew that he got the blessing from his father through trickery and deceit and he wasn't sure if it was still valid. Certainly, Jacob was terrified by his brother of being killed and Jacob wanted God to promise to protect him as he was doing what God told him to do. Maybe he was like the devoted fan of a sports star, for example, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. The sports fan has jerseys, basketballs, posters, and other mementos, but when he meets the star, he wants to get his basketball autographed, and nowadays to get a selfie with him. Sure, Jacob saw God at the top of the stairway to heaven, and God appeared to him in a dream, but now that he wrestled with God and seen His face, he wanted God to bless him. But there's there even one more important reason that God, that Jacob asked God for his blessing, and it's this. Jacob saw God's face, and it was fierce, the fierce face of love. When God touched or hit the inside of Jacob's thigh and dissipated his hip, Jacob experienced God's power and felt his judgment. But when, as the sun began to rise, Jacob saw God's face. He saw God's love and forgiveness. This combination of God's judgment, love, and forgiveness moved him to plead with God for his blessing. When Jacob started wrestling that night, he thought he was fighting an enemy. But he realized, in the end, that he was fighting a friend, a God who loved him fiercely. Frederick. Writes, the darkness had faded just enough so that for the first time he didn't see his opponent's face. And what he sees is something more terrible than the face of death, the face of love. It is vast and strong, half ruined with suffering and fierce with joy. The face of man flees down all the darkness of his days, until at last he cries out, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Not a blessing he can have now by his strength of his cunning or the force of his will, but a blessing that he can have only as a gift. And we see evidence of this in the next chapter when Jacob and Esau meet. We read, the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, And he was limping because of his hip. Jacob looked up, and there was Esau, coming with his four hundred men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. He put the female servants and their children in front of Leah and her children, next and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He went himself on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Jacob bowed down seven times, showing humility, respect, and submission. Esau forgave his brother and warmly welcomed him. By the way, one reason possible that Esau had 400 men with him might be that he was actually afraid of Jacob. (coughs) Um, But it's an interesting side note uh, that Jacob just didn't say sorry. But he made a significant restitution, a real sacrificial gift to win over his brother. When Esau declined to accept the gift, sorry, yeah, yeah, um, Jacob insisted that he accept it. If Jacob had wanted to be crafty and deceitful, he would not have insisted that Esau keep all the animals. But let's get back to the point of the face of God. Look at what Jacob says when he is insisting that Esau accept all the animals. Jacob said, "I, if I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God, now that you have received me favorably. Jacob had just seen the face of God. And his brother's favorable welcome to him was the one thing he mentioned that reminded him of the face of God in which he saw love and forgiveness. So Jacob not only felt the pain of God's judgment, but he also saw the face, in the face of God, the great love that God had for Jacob. In Bethel, God had earlier promised, sorry, Jacob had earlier promised to worship God if God would bless him and bring him home safely. Now, in Peniel, Jacob still feared for his life and did not yet know if he make made home safely. But Jacob experienced God's patience in resting with him for several hours. He experienced God's power in having his hip instantly dislocated, and he experienced God's love in seeing his face. Based on this experience, God insisted or pleaded with God to bless him. When Jacob started fighting with God, he thought he was fighting an enemy. And in the end, he realized that he was fighting a friend. A God who loved him fiercely, and who was fighting with him for his good. He realized that he desperately needed God's blessing, and that this blessing comes at cost. Again, in The the Magnificent Defeat, Frederick Brieger asserts, power, success, <coughs> happiness, as the world knows them, are his who will fight for them hard enough. And Jacob did get these things. But peace, love, joy are only from God. And God is the enemy whom Jacob fought, there by the river, of course, and who, in one way or another, we, all of us, fight. God, the beloved enemy, our enemy, because before giving us everything, He demands of us everything. Before giving us life, He demands our lives, ourselves, our wills, our treasure. The fourth question I'd like to reflect on is, should we struggle with God? We all know we should obey God and do what He says, but life is not that simple. It is hard for us, given our sinful nature and our weaknesses, to always and only obey. Let's consider three cases in which it is good to struggle with God, not just intellectually, but with our whole being, with our hearts. In the first case is when I'm sinning by disobeying God's clear instructions, pro- clear prohibitions, rather. For example, adultery, pornography, lust, anger, hatred, jealousy, addiction, greed, and the like. In these cases, the alternative to struggling with God seems to be resignation and slavery to the sin that has captured us. I think of Psalm 139, 23 to 24, where David pleads, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And we also recall in the Lord's Prayer that Jesus instructs His disciples to ask God to keep them from temptation. In this case, when we are committing sin, struggling with God can mean pleading with Him for release from that sin, begging Him to cleanse us, and imploring Him to give us strength to resist temptation. The second case, is when I'm sinning by not doing what I should do. This happens when I have a conviction that God wants me to do something that I don't want to do or I am afraid to do. Maybe I'm not willing to be generous, not willing to forgive, afraid to speak up for truth and righteousness, or embarrassed to express my Christian faith and convictions about right and wrong. I think this is the case of Jacob, fearful to meet his brother and unsure if God will protect him. In this case, when we don't want or are afraid to do God's will, struggling with God can mean pleading with him for courage, for divine favor, for strength of character, for confidence in God's power and goodness, to bring good out of the situation through our words and deeds. The third case is when I don't understand something and question God's goodness or His wisdom or His commandments or His ways. For example, maybe my own or someone else's suffering causes me to doubt God's goodness and power. Maybe the success of the wicked and godless causes me to question the goodness of God's ways. Maybe the claims of atheists and scientists' assertions cause me to doubt the truth of the Bible. Or maybe the cares and distractions of this world caused me to drift away from God. This makes me think of Job, who contended with God about his suffering. Or King David, who first envied the wicked, but then considered their end. In this case, struggling with God can mean pleading for understanding and insight, or listening to him and his affirmation that he is in peace. So, should we struggle with God? If we can obey, we should obey. But if we are tempted to sin, we should flee the temptation and plead with God to give us the promised strength to resist it. For as Paul writes, the Apostle Paul writes, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful, He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will provide a way out so that you can endure it. And if injustice or crisis affects us or those whom we love, we should not abandon our faith and struggle with God until we can, with Job and David, affirm God's wisdom and goodness. When we struggle with God, we can experience His patience, His power, and His love. We can strengthen not only our character and our faith, but also our relationship with Him. As we wrap up our thinking about this question, we can look to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane as a good example of struggling with God. That night, the night that Jesus was betrayed, just before He was crucified, Jesus struggled with God. He knew that God wanted Him, He knew what God wanted Him to do, but He was afraid to do it. We read, then He said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus wrestled with his loving Father. Jesus expressed his reluctance to be crucified, but in the end, he trusted God's, he trusted the Father's power and love, and he obeyed, and Jesus' obedience his crucifixion fulfilled the blessing for all nations that God promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this leads to the fifth and final question. I'd like to reflect on with you. How do we get God's blessing today? God has blessed us eternally with everlasting life. That's not what I'm talking about. God loves us unconditionally. We cannot earn God's love or our eternal security with Him. And because of His great love for us, He doesn't give up on us when we sin or leave. Uh, Sorry, when we sin, and He doesn't leave us just as we are. God wants to bless us here and now, both for our own good and for the good of the world. But this earthly blessing depends, in part, on our actions. Do we ask God for his blessing with the same tenacity that Jacob showed when he pleaded with God, I will not let you go until you bless me? Let's look at some of the ways that God has made for us to receive his blessing. The book of Psalms opens with these words, Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked, or stand in the way of the sinners, or sit in the company of the mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord who meditates on his law day and night. In Psalm 146, 5, we read, Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose help is the Lord their God. King Solomon explains to his son, Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding. She is a tree of life for those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be in the sermon on the mount jesus said blessed are the poor in spirit those who mourn the meek those who hunger and thirst for righteousness the merciful the pure in heart the peacemakers those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness and those who are insulted persecuted and falsely spoken evil of against because of me and lastly after washing his disciples' feet Jesus says to the disciples, "Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them." We are forever blessed through Jesus' death on the cross, that He has given, that has given us eternal life through our faith in Him, and we are blessed in our journey on earth with the blessing that flows out to others. This earthly blessing comes with, comes from God, and is undeserved, just like our eternal blessing. And while God works in us to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose, we too have a part to play in receiving it by walking with God and in His ways, by embracing wisdom, by trusting in Him, and by doing His will. We receive this blessing through obedience, whether that is obedience to God's commandments or our conscience or the leading of the Holy Spirit. So, the question I ask myself is: with what zeal and commitment do I pursue this blessing for me and for the world from God? To summarize, here are the main points we covered this morning. God came to the home of a man to Jacob the night before he was about to meet his brother. Jacob wrestled with God. God touched his hip, ending the wrestling match and causing him great pain. Jacob refused to let go unless God blessed him. God asked him his name, which he answered, Jacob, which means usurper or deceiver. God gave him a new name, Israel, meaning struggles with God. And God blessed him there. Why did Jacob wrestle with God? I think he started to wrestle with God because he thought this man was his enemy. Why did God come to wrestle with Jacob? Sometimes, God doesn't comfort us in our trouble, but He challenges us like a coach. He doesn't enable our sin, but refines us like fire. He doesn't desert us, but keeps after us like a faithful husband. He does not want our submission, but our love. God struggles with us to show His patience, His power, and His love, to strengthen our relationship with Him, and to bring about our transformation. Why did Jacob ask for a blessing? Mm -hmm because he saw the face of God, that face, the fiery the forgiving face of love. We are those who struggle with God. Should we? While it is best to obey, we should struggle with God rather than continue in sin. We should struggle with God rather than avoid what He calls us to do. And, and we should struggle with God rather than believe that He is not gracious, merciful, righteous, just slow to anger, and abounding in love. God has shown us how we can be blessed, to be a blessing by trusting Him, gaining wisdom, walking in His ways, and obeying Him. Will we seek His blessing for ourselves and the world with the same fervor and resolution that Jacob sought? God's blessing? The greatest commandment is to love God with all our heart, and with all our soul, and with all our mind, and with all our strength. I think it's not a coincidence that this commandment looks like a recipe for how to wrestle. Use all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength.